from KQED. You're listening to Queued Up. I'm Ryan Levy, and today we're going to do something a little bit different. Usually I bring you one of the best, most interesting stories that's aired on KQED in the past week. But this week, I've got parts of three stories for you. They're from a series our Silicon Valley team did, looking back at a few stories we did in 1993 about the future of technology. Now, I wasn't born yet in 1993, so these stories that they're looking back on are literally older than I am. But they still fascinate me, because 25 years later, we're still asking the same questions. Like, will technology change our lives for better or for worse? That's the question KQD's Sam Harnett tackles in his piece. He revisits a story done back in 93 by our colleague Peter John Schuler. Peter called his story Techno Slaves, and it begins with a woman oppressed by technology. An old technology. Hello, this is Maureen Glancy. I'm sorry I can't answer your telephone call in person, but I will be I resent it when I walk into my office and the little red light is uh, flashing madly. Maureen Glancy is associate professor in the Recreation and Leisure Studies Department at San Jose State University. I dial into the system, and when I hear that I have 11 messages and I literally have 15 minutes, I say to myself, I can't do this now, and I put it off till later. Hi, is this Maureen? Yes, it is. Hi, Maureen. This is Sam. I'm from KQED Public Radio. And uh, I'm calling you, yeah, I'm calling you because um, a colleague of mine, um, Peter John Schuler, he interviewed you a bunch of years ago. Do you you remember that? Very vaguely. That was a long time ago. Back when Maureen talked to Peter, she thought technology was becoming our masters instead of our servants. Here she is in 1993. The answering system doesn't forget. I must therefore listen to every call and answer any that require an answer. So it's as if life is no longer imperfect. You know, we can't be just plain human beings. We are technologically perfect. Maureen has since retired, but she's still haunted by those little red flashing lights. And I have the same reaction. Do you feel, though, in general, that uh, smartphones are making people uh, kind of more tied to work in a way that would have scared you in 1993? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's instantaneous. It's 24 hours a day. The chain is never broken. Voicemail? Really? That was the big concern? I mean, I guess it makes sense. It's basically the same feeling I have today with work emails. But there was one line from Maureen Glancy that that really stuck out to me. So it's as if there... Life is no longer imperfect. You know, we can't be just plain human beings. We are technologically perfect. But guess what? We are still plain human beings, and we're not technologically perfect. But what's dangerous is that we've fallen into this idea that somehow technology is perfect, and we trust it to make all of our important decisions and and store our most precious memories. And we're starting to realize that this could bite us in the ass. The second story in our technology look-back flight is about music and content creation. Now think of all the big tech companies today. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, especially YouTube. They all promised us that we would become the new creators, distributing our pithy comments and beautiful art around the world. The thing is, this isn't a new promise. Here's KQED's Rachel Myro. Back in 1993, Peter talked about a word coined by the futurist Alvin Toffler, prosumer. 
He had a slightly different meaning in mind when he fused the word producer and consumer, but prosuming seems an apt label for the kind of free-flowing give-and-take now practiced by users of the net. Thanks to the Internet Underground Music Archive and other startups like it, music distribution did become substantially cheaper, and the universe of music did expand as more people uploaded their creative work. But just because you put a song out there in the world doesn't mean anyone is going to listen to it without a heck of a lot of promotion of the right kind. And media companies are fighting as hard as ever to stay in the mix, to keep your ears and eyeballs glued to their content. Ariana Grande is not tops on the iTunes charts just because she's talented, as at least one person Peter talked to back in 93 predicted. Out of 50 channels with nothing on, we're going to have 500 channels with nothing on. Sounds kind of like YouTube, right? I mean... There's a lot of crap and then some lucky folks who have found a way to make money off of it. But there was one more thing Peter said that I think is relevant. I don't think he was guessing. I think he knew what was coming. A very big signal focused at you, at the consumer, and a tiny little signal reaching out, pushing the other way. I mean, he's right. You know, all that's happened in the last 25 years is that companies have dominated the Internet and gotten better and better at using it to sell us stuff. And now for story sample number three, which which really gets to the heart of one of the biggest issues in tech today, diversity and access. KQED's Silicon Valley editor Tanya Mosley went to Fremont High School to visit the media studies class of Jasmine Miranda. Today, she's teaching her students about virtual reality. But back in 93, she was a student herself at this very school. Here's Tanya. At the time, the school's media academy was hailed as a program teaching kids about the latest in technology. But looking back, Miranda wonders, was it enough? If you think of what was available back then, we didn't really have access to that. And I do remember the discussion back then. I do remember there was a glove the power glove. Mm. We didn't have access to stuff like that. The Media Academy at Fremont did teach students back then how to create their own publications and tell their stories through radio and video. But in light of the flood of technological advances and startup culture in the valley that followed, Miranda wonders if they were taught the right things. Miranda listened to that old story, and this is where she gets emotional. Listening to the original news story, I laughed and then I was sad because I don't think that things have changed much. These students live in a real as well as a virtual world. That real world harbors family money problems, racial discrimination, and impoverished schools. Teacher Steve O'Donohue. Most of the students here don't have personal computers at home. They don't have modems. They don't have the basic tools to access, you know, the knowledge, the superhighway, right? Miranda says her students today still live in that real world. Fremont High struggles with attendance and low test scores. And Miranda knows the reasons behind those numbers. These students deal with all sorts of things outside of school, like violence and poverty. Yes, we have computers, but the amount of students in my academy that actually have access to the internet at home, it's, it's not as high as you would think it is. So they're using their cell phone on campus and using our Wi-Fi signal. And sometimes 
They may have a cell phone, but that doesn't mean that that cell phone is actually operating. One of the more eager students in the story from 1993 was Benjamin Brooks. Miranda helped me track him down through Facebook. Here he is at 17 years old. Benjamin Brooks doesn't have a cell phone, but he's a tech head nonetheless. Technology is just to make everything easier. You know, uh, it's computers are an easier way of filing and storing information. Who knows what we'll be able to do later on. To hear my voice from uh, being so young, it really took me back. Brooks now lives in Sacramento and works for the state's Bureau of Automotive Repair. And he's happy with what he does. But when I asked if it had ever crossed his mind back then, the possibility that he or his friends could be a part of creating technology in the Silicon Valley, he got really quiet and then said this. Where I grew up at, I represent the area of people who are just going to consume. So we get information, enough information, so we can perpetually consume and teach our kids how to consume. And the curriculum that we have leans to us consuming, not inventing and creating. This is really what it all comes down to. Who benefits from new technology? Who gets to use it to get rich and improve their communities? And who becomes the target, the victim of technology that's becoming better and better at manipulating us? It's sad that in the last 25 years, we really haven't done much to deal with these questions. So my hope is that over the next 25 years, we finally get it together and and figure out how to create a technologically advanced world that's also equitable and lifts us all up. Thanks to our top-notch Silicon Valley team for their work both then and now. Tanya Mosley, Rachel Myro, Sam Harnett, and the ageless wonder, Peter John Schuler. You can find their full stories and more at kqed.org slash qedup. I'm Ryan Levy. Have a good week. Thanks for sticking around, and I want to implore you again to listen and subscribe to The Bay. It's KQD's daily news podcast, and it's exactly what I want out of a local news podcast. It doesn't just repeat the same headlines you'll see everywhere. It goes deep inside stories that I probably would never have known about. Like this week, they had an episode about elderly folks living in SROs in Chinatown who have been harassed by their landlords. It's a super important story that connects to so many storylines going on in the Bay Area, but I probably never would have heard it, and I definitely wouldn't have heard the depth and perspective that they offered without The Bay. This is the long way of me saying, please go listen and subscribe to The Bay wherever you get your podcasts.